Welcome to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell, where each week you hear from safety industry experts and leaders discussing safety culture, team development, and the future of the safety industry. If you are looking for help with your safety program or have questions, head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Alrighty, thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm super excited about this conversation that we're about to have with Blaine Hoffman. And guys, the reason why I'm so excited is because I feel like I barely get the opportunity to nerd out in safety with another safety pro that might speak my language and just, uh, I don't know, maybe interested in a lot of the same things I am. So Blaine, thank you so much for carving time out in your super busy schedule to be with us today. How are you? My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. I'm doing great. How are you doing? You're in uh, the Colorado area. Is that? I'm in Colorado. Yep. Colorado. I'm in Greeley, Colorado. I'm in Ohio. So uh, the Midwest, but uh, the weather should be treating you well right this time of year, right? Decent. It's like, it was yeah. weird. This morning was a little bit snowy. I don't know. Really? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I just you can go keep with it. that. I'm done with snow. I don't want. <laughs> I've been done with snow. I looked outside I'm in a dress and I looked outside and I was like, well, we'll just roll with it. I'm I'm done. (laughs) So same, same. All's good here though. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. And I mean, just right off the bat, we're just chatting before this, just kind of diving in about safety culture and you're on, I know you're on your, correct me if I'm wrong, around 128th episode of your safety pro podcast. Is that right? Yeah, I should be further along, but um, I took almost a year off in 2015. Okay. Uh, I, I launched another podcast and was doing that for small businesses. Um, but then I, I just, it got pulled, I got pulled back into safety. I love it so much. It's what I do. So, yes. um, so yeah, I, I picked it back up, but yeah, I try to do one every week. I don't always get one, but um, you know, I just try to, when it comes to me, I, I record and, uh, I try to keep it, keep it timely and relevant, uh, based on conversations I have with people just like you, other safety pros. Yes. Yep. Nope. Makes sense. And I don't know, I, through interviewing and through your 25 years of experience in the safety industry side of things, what has been, what, what led you into safety to begin with? That always seems to be the money question is how did you get into safety? I feel like a lot of the time it's like I rolled into safety. It was thrown on my plate. This wasn't my plan for my life, but what's your story? How did you get into it? Yeah. So, you know, my story is like a lot of others. It's, um, I don't know if you could see the old fire dude back there, uh, the fire service. I was a firefighter. So I started in the fire service and safety is sort of baked into that, you know, culture already, whether you realize it or not. I mean, you're running into a burning building. Most folks are running out or, you know, when I'm climbing into a car that's flipped over with busted glass to try to help somebody out, you you don't think of safety um, or you wouldn't think you think of safety but it is all in there. It's, um, it's managed risk, right? Uh, risk versus reward. The risk to me with the PPE and the training and the assessment and sizing up the scene and the situation, the risk to me being managed versus the reward of saving a, a somebody's life. Um, you know, that 
people don't think of it in those terms. So it started to dawn on me that, you know, safety was a big part of my job, whether yeah. I realized it or not. So I got into prevention and education. I got more into training other firefighters, going into schools, teaching stop, drop and roll to little kindergartners and, um, you know, stuff like that. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I started going into businesses to do inspections okay. uh, for the businesses. And that got me into safety. Oh my goodness. So you were going in initially doing risk assessments in businesses, doing these gap analysis. And at, at that time, was that, was that like an OSHA gap analysis that you No. Um, so in the fire service, it was, you know, compliance code stuff, you know, do you have the fire extinguisher, the exit lights are lit up, you know, just basic Highways, walkways, yep. stuff like that. Okay. Absolutely. And during that process, I learned a lot of the small businesses in our jurisdiction, they they weren't even aware of you know, a lot of these things. And so that led me to think maybe there's a job teaching them how yeah. to do this. And at the time, I didn't realize uh, there was a whole industry out there for this. And the local community college, Sinclair Community College, um, I later, uh, went, after I got my master's, I later went back and taught safety risk management at, at Sinclair, which is kind of funny. But oh my they had a two-year degree program called safety risk management, and I minored in environmental technology. So I went and did that, All right. and uh, that that got me right into the private sector as a oh, safety professional. Wow, I'm sure you have some some incredible stories too. Serving at the fire department, we've partnered with a ton of. Um, firemen, fire chief that have taught some of the best first aid CPR AED classes you could ever take and is because of the experience and it's because yeah. of the real life practical knowledge taking a first aid class from somebody that just, you know, took the instructor class versus someone like yourself who can share stories. And so having that relatability in a class seems to be the most effective classes that I've been in. And so that kind of leads me to think about training and I'm super passionate about classes, about training and education and how are we delivering the best materials to a student who's out there going to risk their life. They're at a high risk job, at an oil and gas job, construction job, a roofing job. And so what have you learned over the years and your experience about training and how do you, what's your philosophy on classes safety classes. And I'm sure there's so much there, but. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, some of the basics, right. Know your audience, know who you're talking to. If you've got a, a group of engineers, um, you know, there's a way that you would uh, present and teach to that group. Yeah. If you have a group of new hires and new, new employees that they know very little about maybe what they're going to be doing, even though they may have done it elsewhere, they haven't done it here and they don't know the or company culture yet. Um, you know, you would have a different approach for them. So know your audience. Um, then I would go to uh, the topic, make sure that you, you, the training is appropriate for the topic. And what I think a lot of people overlook with training. And, and so I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought that up is that, People think it's just, I have to, I have this information and I need to get it into their mind so that they can go and do whatever it is they need to do. Yeah, Training is, is an opportunity to do so much more. And, and we mentioned culture earlier. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity. You've got their attention. It's an opportunity to 
not just transfer that knowledge or get them to understand and nod their head at, at this policy procedure or uh, the way they're supposed to do a certain thing. It's an opportunity to impress upon them the seriousness, the dedication, the investment the company's making. So having, you know, somebody like their supervisor or having the CEO or senior uh, operations leaders, um, you participate and come in and really impress upon them that this is who we are. This yes. is how we do the job. These and are the that, and that's why we're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. teaching. Oh my gosh, I could talk all day about this is just... <laughs> Yeah, not just teaching the OSHA regulations or any regulation for any company. Hey, these are the standards, but what is exactly what you said? What what does this company stand for? And what do you expect out of me value-wise? And something you said made me think of this, just having the supervisor or the CEO involved. I realized early on after doing it the wrong way, after leading safety meetings the wrong way, I realized when I bring the, the leadership team and I involve them in the safety meeting and I have a supervisor speak, I have um, maybe the foreman scattered out and I break everybody into groups and every foreman is responsible to lead a group and I give responsibility there or I'm having the CEO talk about um, something that impacted his life or her life and in a safety way last month. And so having, having, seen that shows more about safety than any regulation. I agree with you. And so have you ever been in this? Well, I shouldn't say have you. When you've been in situations working with companies that their safety culture is non-existent, let's say. So the, the client that you've had where their safety culture is non-existent, but let's say the leadership team wants to do the right thing. And they've called you in. How walk me through how you what that journey looks like with you and a client if a, it's a small business and kind of like you said earlier too is they they simply maybe not they don't know how to get in compliance they don't they kind of know what to do but they kind of don't know so how do you how do you shift yeah. safety culture that way uh, so that's tough and. I've had a couple of instances when I was doing consulting for a little more than 10 years, the, I, I always say there are two types of clients. There are clients that uh, need your services and there are clients that want your services. The ones that call and say, I need your services. It's usually because they got a citation, they had a horrible incident and they're in order to get out of certain hot water, they're going to go and hire a consultant to come in and help them get through this thing. And so that's probably going to have a short-term gain long-term typically in my, my uh, experience doesn't work out too well. The ones that call and want your services, they're saying things like, you know, we're not happy with the way things are going. We're not happy with the incidents that we're having. It's not, nothing's happened yet, but that keeps me up at night, you know, and yeah. we want help. Those are like, those are the ones like, that's the unicorn, right? Oh those gosh. are the ones where you're like, yes, I, we can work together. Um, so for me, safety culture, I mean, everyone kind of has, goes back and forth on like what the definition of culture is. And me, I just have my own in my mind, you know, our, our culture in an organization is just a set of shared beliefs yeah. that you can see uh, in through their behaviors. So 
a shared beliefs, and that's a common set of beliefs. So building on that, I make this analogy when people say, you know, how do we build, uh, you know, and improve our safety culture? They, I'm like, well, one, you're putting the word safety in front of culture like it's a separate thing. You already yeah, have a culture, yeah. right? Whether you realize it or not, you may not like it, but you have one. The thing I, the analogy I like to use is health. When you say, I don't like the culture of our company, what you're saying is I don't like the health of our organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do we know about your health? I make this analogy. If you want a healthy lifestyle, if you want to be healthy, we know that you're not going to just go on a diet for five days. You know, you're not going to just cut out carbs for a week. You're not going to uh, take a or, one week right. yoga class, uh, yeah. sign up for CrossFit for a month, do a program, a short term yeah. program. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's you're going to end up with a yo-yo diet. You're going to end up with inconsistent results, and you're going to go right back into your old habits. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to improve organizational health, you have to start with the basics. You have to have a good, solid foundation. And just like my personal health, if I'm eating junk food and fast food uh, all day, it doesn't matter if I'm running 15 miles a day. I'm going to have a, a caloric plateau that I hit. I'm not going to lose any weight. I'm not going to get any healthier, right? I'm going to hit a hit a ceiling. You have to fundamentally change the foundation of your health. And so with safety, I always go back to the basics. People like they look big picture and say, I want uh, employee involvement. I want people to make suggestions. I want people to get involved. I want um, I want to eliminate incidents and accidents, but yet they never say anything about what mechanism do you have in place for employees to report a hazard? Do you have enough maintenance staff to track equipment PMs and prevent breakdowns and um, breakage of equipment? Uh, do you have a quality team that is dedicated to root cause for problem solving and stopping you know, quality issues? And, and how can we integrate those problem solving skills? Uh, what if PDCA, you know, all the things that quality teams use, use those for safety issues and steal from them? Um, do you do regular audits and inspections? What's your safety training program like? How often do you have safety meetings? And do you bring safety to other meetings, not treat it separately, but like you integrate safety with existing business? Those are the everyday basic foundational elements that if you start beating that drum consistently every day, the basics, that provides a solid foundation upon which you can add another layer and another layer. People want to go right to the top layer and they've got this house of cards and it's flimsy and it falls apart and they wonder why. So to me, it's literally safety 101. It's the basic fundamental elements of safety that you have to go back to and start from there. I have never heard it said like that before the analogy to health and, and focusing on the basics. And you're, you're, what I hear you saying is that, you know, a lot of the times companies are asking for this end result, the end result, the end result, same thing in health. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds, whatever it is, but we're not looking at the daily habits that have to be daily to get you there. I come in a gap. A gap assessment does this, right? If you think about it. Yeah. You're right. Folks want to manage from where they wish they were. And you have to manage from where you actually are. And that is a gap assessment. 
So what is the gap between where you want to be and where you actually are today? And you need somebody objective to come in and, and do a no crap assessment of where you currently are today and you manage from there. You don't manage the by results, right? By objectives. You manage from where you are. And it could be a pretty big gap. It could be a very small gap, but you have to know where that is. And that's why you go back and start with the basics. How do employees participate now? What's your orientation process like? Uh, what's your management culture like? Uh, have you done any kind of leadership development and, commu and effective communication with your managers and supervisors? Um, what's your disciplinary action history like? Do you issue disciplinary action? And and what's what's the most frequent? I'll give you a quick story. Yeah. Um, this was a, a manufacturer that they had, it was a union environment and they had a lot of disciplinary actions and grievance hearings and things like that going on. And there was one where the associate got a laceration on the hand. I've, I tell the story to most people because it's a great example. And it was because they took their glove off to pick up a piece of metal that they had to cut to do a quality check. Okay. They knew, the workers know, all the workers on this line know that you the gloves they, they were given, the leather gloves, you cannot pick this piece of metal up wearing those gloves. So supervisors and managers, they all know this. This individual got written up because they got stitches. They got a laceration. Nobody else gets written up every day that they do this quality check until they get hurt. So sure. I went back and one of the basics, I said, okay, you're blaming the worker. What that is, is an error trap. And uh, that was the first time they'd heard that phrase. And I said, okay, this is what an error trap is. You yeah, have a PPE right policy. Yeah, you have a PPE policy that says I have to wear these gloves, but you have a quality check that says you have to do this. In order to do this, you're sticking the employee in a trap. If I don't do this, I can get written up and fired. We lose our ISO certification because they were making automotive parts. That's huge. Um, if I yeah. do do this, I'm violating a, um, a, a PPE policy. So they make a decision and nine times out of 10, they're making it in the best interest of the company. You know, sure. best intentions. I'm not as likely to get cut than I am to get written up for skipping this quality check because quality is everything, right, yeah. to this company. So they already had a culture. So, um, so I had to explain to them like the trap they put the employees in. So they did a PPE assessment and they trialed a bunch of different gloves. They got a manufacturer to come in to their uh, site and they had issued new gloves that had the dexterity, same cut level as the leather gloves. And they were able to do all of those tasks uh, without taking the glove off. Um, one of the engineers, one of the uh, line workers actually had an idea to have a little metal a uh, little metal, metal rocker that you uh, push down and it under the table and it pops that little piece of metal up so mm -hmm. they can grab it easier. So the, they did a combination of things. And so we did root cause analysis, basic problem solving with the quality team, stole their lean uh, training that they did with their quality team to find mm -hmm. quality problems and applied it to safety problems. Uh, and uh, started an A3 process with them, got a safety committee started. The, um, the company actually approved uh, they had like four plants at that location approved full-time safety um, positions for mm -hmm. each plant mm -hmm. and the union approved it. So they created union jobs uh, as a result. And wow. then they were on their way to applying for VPP uh, in inside of 18 months. Oh my 
goodness. That is, yeah. that, would, that would be a huge accomplishment and commitment. Like the commitment of VPP just is incredible. I would love. And they, and they knew they, when they reached out, they knew they weren't happy with the way things were going, but remember yeah. it goes to those basics. And then, you know, so when you start asking all those little questions, yeah. how often do you do audits? Do you do inspections? What's your equipment maintenance like? What's your, you know, all these little basic things. And they're like, what the heck's that got to do with, we want a great safety culture. And I'm like, that's how you get there. Daily, you know, I'll go back to something you every said day. that blew my mind was, and you almost answered it, but I want to elaborate on it was, you were talking about if a customer said, a company wants to take their safety program to the next level. And let's say that there are, um, you said one of two customers, they're the ones who want it. They want to go to the next level. And you're asking, all right, well, we need to see what your daily habits are, or let's see what your daily practices are, your current culture. I was going to ask you, we're talking, when talking about gap analysis is, you know, are you some advice for a new safety professional? If you're a safety professional going into a company, what kind of gap, a gap analysis or what kind of audit do you start with? And I was going to ask you, you know, how do you assess these daily cultural things? Because when I think of analysis, um, an audit, I'm just default to go to a, an OSHA audit. And, I, and I'm default to think, okay, what regulations are, 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 what are we complying with and what are we not? And you said, I wrote this down, was you're looking at what does your disciplinary program look like? And let's get some examples there. When's the last time the team had leadership training? What does your current culture look like? And then what does the what does the worker participation look like now? So I think that those are huge takeaways. If you're a safety professional, someone who's trying to shift the needle in your company, trying to improve the culture is don't just look at the regulations, but ask yourself these questions. I love that. I love what are oh, some think other, about it. Yeah. The worst companies in the country can meet OSHA standards. Oh my OSHA standards gosh, are not hard crazy. to meet. Yeah, they're not. So people think it's a finish line. Like, uh, how do you help us get in compliance? And I'm like, you mean you don't start in compliance when you turn on the lights in the morning? You should already be there. Yeah, so OSHA the regs aren't a finish line. It's a starting point you build from there. So oh if you can't gosh. even follow some OSHA regs, <laughs> don't don't even talk about. Yeah, we got to start there. So. Um, I think with the gap assessment, yeah, you're right. You you have to consider these other things. If you're lamenting the fact that employees don't want to participate in like safety safety initiatives that we roll out or um, improvement uh, suggestion programs or you know s stuff like that, what do you but tell a company? You, yeah, what do you tell a company? Yeah. Like, We're having a problem with the employees. They all yeah. Freaking everyone's lazy. We're getting bad worker participation. What do you tell a customer that you already know they're blame, I, blame, blaming everyone else? What do you yeah, say? Yeah, I ask about their leadership. So I learned this when I was at the DOD and and with the, especially in the Air Force, um, I, I learned this from uh, a two-star general, actually. He said to me, he said, whenever you have a problem in one level of an organization, look to the next level up for the possible problem. And so Blame. I was curious and I'm, oh and I'm like, what do gosh. you mean? And he goes, he said, if, if you're and in this was in, in the context of work, if you're upset that the hourly workers 
aren't volunteering to be on a safety committee or be involved in a safety committee, you need to look at the next level up and say, are we giving them enough motivation? Are their supervisors giving them a voice, an opportunity to speak in the meetings? Are they, um, every time, time off task is a great one. A lot of organizations, they have this time off task uh, tr um, that they track. If your workers are like, I, I can't do that because I have time off task. You know, my manager yells at me, you know, half the time when I go to the bathroom because I want to know why, you know, I was time off task. Well, now you're asking these people to give up 30 minutes, you know, every week or every other week or once a month to go sit in a safety meeting. You think that manager is going to buy into that? So you've skipped an entire segment of the organization and gone right down to the front line and say, how come you're not volunteering and you're asking the wrong people? You need oh to go gosh. to the next level up or the middle management is where all of this falls apart. And it's called the middle squeeze. Um, upper management, they want to see the results, big picture. They're looking at those numbers. The, the frontline workers, they just want to do a good job. They just don't want to get in trouble. They want to do the right thing. And then you got middle management feeling it from both sides. Yeah. So yeah. you really need I to make sure my... that is really in place, that middle cult, that culture in the middle. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this a thousand times because <laughs> you are dropping bombs. This is this is just huge pieces of advice. Um, for anybody listening, just so much practical advice to, to make a change today, to make a difference now. Yeah. And so how do you, I, I've never heard it said this way before in a way that you um, were sharing that story of look at the next level up when you're having a problem here. So how do, how would you approach that conversation? Let's say that there is a safety director that's new to a job, safety manager, and leadership is saying, hey, employees here are lazy da, 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 da. and how do you you're an employee you're not a consultant how do you communicate to your boss i heard yeah. on the safety pro podcast that if there's a problem with the employees look at the next level up what do you do about it how do you say that so it's really hard for employees obviously to speak sure. up so you need to have um in every organization, you got to have a corporate sponsor, right? And this, this is a phrase that I've used in the past. If you don't have a corporate sponsor, somebody above you um, that's advocating for you that you can go to, that um, then that's really difficult. It's sure. really hard for a, an employee. Um, I think that what's important for organizations to understand is that that leadership element there is that a lot of a lot of the issues that we see uh, that upper management talks about, they may not realize it, it's taking place in that frontline supervisor position because it's not that they're bad. It's just they're feeling that squeeze, right? And they're trying to get production, production, production. So I think what's, what's important when we talk about, okay, we want to see, you know, more employee involvement, but then the frontline supervisors aren't allowing them to participate. It's not built into the work schedule. Right. Uh, the work schedule is so tight, you know, so it's not even them. They're reacting to something. So let's say you go to that level and you interview them and you talk to them and get their feedback and they tell you these things. We, there's no time. 
uh, I, I'm written up and my performance is evaluated based on this, that, and the other. So that's These what I drive. That's what I focus on. Then you go to the next level up, right? So now you've uncovered another problem. So what eventually happens is you end up going as far as you can go in the organization at that location. So um, another good trick for, for you to do is uh, when, when, engage, when you're having engagements like this with organizations that want to improve, another thing you want to look at is you want to look at roles and responsibilities, job descriptions, mm-hmm. uh, not the ones they post on um, Indeed or, or, you know, um, you know, out there Zip on the recruiter, internet. Zip whatever. Zip recruiter or whatever they are now. Um, that's how old I am. I use Indeed. I use Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So you look at roles and responsibilities um, as they're written for internally, right? Okay. What it, that'll tell you everything about their culture, about what's driving that manager, uh, their behavior, right? Oh, wow. And if you see nothing in there other than uh, foster a culture of safety, what in the what heck does the- that mean? What does that even mean? They don't yeah. even know what that means. <laughs> no. And so when you see those, but then you see must maintain a um, a quality um, rate of 2.5. It's like, uh, then it starts getting all, like, all specific. I'm like, okay, that's what they value. And sure. that's the culture they have. And it's not wrong. It's just tells you where you are. So what you have to do is you have to make sure, and I've done this, and I have an example uh, I can uh, send you, actually, an example of roles and responsibilities for every position in the organ- in a generic organization from the VP, president, CEO, all the way down to an hourly worker, how we can write safety in measurable, observable terms. And the wow. example I like to give is uh, we do this in training, too. We say, uh, we'll write a policy that says uh, for forklift operators in a warehouse, uh, okay. must um, must operate uh, powered industrial trucks in a safe manner. And I'm like, what What does that mean? Yeah. How would I know if I'm watching you, you're operating it in a safe manner? And then they'll, sure. they should be able to tell you, oh, I stop at every intersection. I look both ways. I honk the horn. I make eye contact with it. I'm like, well, then you have to write that in the responsibilities must stop at all, you know, intersections, because that's how I can tell. You can't just tell somebody operate safely. You have to define it for them. So if we say you must foster a culture of safety as a supervisor, you have to write some specifics. Must have one person on your team each quarter uh, rotate on the safety committee. Must That's how I know you're fostering a culture of safety that you're you're making sure you have somebody on the safety committee on your team that you're giving them 30 minutes must allow them five minutes prior to their shift to do a 5s audit must i should if you're failing on those you're not fostering a culture of safety so now i can measure you and they will respond to that if you write in in those terms because you've written the other stuff in those terms the specifics, the specifics yeah. of the, yeah, of the, the technicalities yep. of the job. But when it comes to safety, everyone's yep. perspective is different. I mean, as it's, mm-hmm. if, if you were to read anything, perform anything, and it, but if, if it's specific, it's measurable is what I hear you saying. And when it's measurable, it's practiced and there's documentation yeah. and, and real life. think about this. If, cause I, what I said at the beginning about going back to basics, if I were to ask an employee in that organization that has those well-defined 
They change them when they need to change them, but it's that daily standard work that's well-defined. If I ask an employee in that organization, you know, who does the employer care about safety? And they're like, oh my God, it's like, you know, yeah, my supervisors always start with a safety message. We have to do our pre-shift uh, 5S check. We're on the safety committee. The plant manager and the VP of manufacturing comes out and does their weekly gamble walks. And one of us has to go along. We, you, They can tell you specifically all of the things that we do. It's just natural to them. It's happening every day versus the other one where they're like, eh, you know, don't get hurt. You know, they can't tell you. Right. So you want a good safety culture, you have to go back to the basics. You have to do these this daily standard work, this grunt work almost every it. day over and over. You can't stop it. It doesn't end. And that's it, how you build on that. That makes so much sense. And just even going back to the beginning of relating it to health, yes, the, the day-to-day basics, but also the flip side of things is if you have a once a quarter, the opposite would be having a once a quarter leadership or annual leadership training, or if you have a consultant come in that just, you know, maybe does an initial analysis and then they never hear from, you know, they don't have safety involved or it's just, there's a program, a thorough programs that were built out then you'll see a good good result for maybe two quarters, maybe one quarter, maybe a month. But then, like you said, you're yo-yoing just like in your health. And then you're wondering where are we going wrong here? And so I, this might be hard to answer because there's probably a million <laughs> answers that come to your mind, but I just want to hear from you is working with so many different companies, different cultures, different industries. What are the, the four things that you find consistent in a healthy organization where they have a thriving culture, where you left there, and these are maybe your favorite customers. What are the four things that your favorite customers have in common? So maybe uh, somebody listening can, you know, strive. Yeah, to uh, one is they um, they understand uh, what we're talking about. Not safety people, the leaders in the organization. They understand oh. that safety is, and this sounds trite. But it's it's a core value. Safety is uh, the most important thing because uh, it's you can sum it up in this phrase: if you take care of your people, your people take care of your business. Yeah, right. Yeah. They understand that, and so everything they do is predicated on that assumption: that are we taking care of our people when we're asking them to do this? Right? Are we supporting them in some way? So that's that's the first thing. You'll kind of get a sense of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing would be they, they have those basics. They understand just like quality. I keep referring back to quality people because you can point to that and you can show how you can build a culture around quality and you can control all of these quality is all about like limiting variation, right? Mm-hmm. We, we shouldn't have, if we're making widgets, every widget shouldn't be different from the previous widget and the next widget. They should all be the same consistently. Mm -hmm. And the way to get that is controlling, you know, the production process, going through standard work, having checklists, regular PMs. Mm -hmm. Same thing with safety. The variation that we want to eliminate with safety, we look at it in terms of incidents, accidents, um, or OSHA recordables, workers comp. I mean, we have all kinds of data points that tell us there's variation 
in our sense, right? We'll go, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if we want to uh, eliminate, if you think about it, safety, take the human and ethical uh, element out of the equation, right? If we wanted to strip it down in terms that quality would use, an accident, an incident is waste in a process. An unexpected event that wasn't designed in the process. Sure, it right, stops right. the operation. It increases uh, cost, uh, downtime. And so if we want to eliminate that, then we have to engineer it out. We have to anticipate certain uh, mistakes. Um, we can anticipate certain things uh, that would happen. So we have to bake that into the process. And that becomes the standard work. So the best organizations they understand this. So not only do they first, uh, you know, have a fundamental caring care for their people uh, and they understand this, but then they go to the next step and they have this daily standard work. They expect it, they track it, they hold their managers and leaders accountable for these things. Um, and then the third thing would be, they have mechanisms in place for employees uh, to voice their opinions, their feedback, and participate in the decision-making process when it comes to safety and health. And this also ties to quality and productivity. They have teams where they're always asking uh, the a good cross-section of the organization, uh, including frontline workers, asking for their input in improving things. There, You can see it, you feel it. Um, they have these regular meetings, the teams and events. Uh, so that's something they do really well. And now you they're see how they're something. building on, yeah, you and can't they're doing do that something with that one. feedback. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're listening. You're saying there's a there's a platform, there's a process, there's the opportunity to give your feedback, to give yeah. suggestions, and then it's utilized. It's value. Yeah, and then they have. Uh, then the other one is um, when something doesn't go as planned. They have a robust process to in place to tackle those problems. They, wow. they treat it like it's the end of the world, right? Like Even an accident misses. or what do you mean? Like if a near miss incident, failed. whenever something doesn't go according to plan, um, an unplanned, you know, an unplanned event, an accident, an incident, even near misses. And the best ones would treat near misses like an accident, right? They agree. deep dive that. They have yeah. Kaizen events. They pull a team together. They go and tackle root cause. They, there's no, um, you know, employee error as a root cause. They don't blame an employee. If the employee, they understand drift and error traps, operational drift and error traps. And so they know that an employee making a decision or skipping a step or forgetting a step yeah. is, is natural. It's human to error, to make a mistake. How do we build resilience in our processes um, make them strong enough to withstand a mistake. Like they never settle for good enough, right? They're always looking to improve. They never, they never rest on an employee made a mistake. Yeah. How can we help them make fewer mistakes? How how do we simplify processes? So they have a a robust process in place for that, and then they have this feedback loop. I guess would be the last one is they're mm-hmm. continuously taking what they're learning and discovering about their processes, their procedures, their culture, uh, and they're constantly, uh, you know, communicating, retraining, and looping that back into the organization as they learn. And so those are probably the top four that I would look at. You know, there's a couple others that that come to mind, but 
those are the big ones right there. Uh, that is that those are, Oh my goodness. Those are, those are huge. And the biggest trend in all of these four is the willingness and openness to learn and to grow. And I don't even know if that needs, that doesn't even need to be a part of a, part of a company's core values. You know, it, it's, written, I say written core values. It sounds like that's just who they are is that when you're open, when an incident, when crap hits the fan, when something happens and a company is willing to say, Hey, where did I go wrong here? When all levels of the company are willing to say, what could I have done better? What can we as a brand, as a company do better to make sure this doesn't happen again versus pointing the finger, Oh, this employee must be disgruntled. Oh, I can't believe Johnny messed up again. We probably should write him up. Dang it, Johnny. Dang it, Johnny. This keeps happening to you, but it's your fault, not ours. Like what I hear you saying is that that's an open and openness and willingness to, to see and to grow, to see what we've done to grow. Now, and it's kind of baked into the first thing I said about, you know, understanding that if you take care of your people, your people will take care of the business. Um, just having the right mindset and then everything else can follow. If you try to skip any of those foundational things like the daily standard work, and then you go right to why won't people get involved? It, you know, it's because you set them up to not be involved. Um, the other thing is when, when, especially what you just said, this, this culture, it's just a part of who they are in the organization of the willingness. They're humble enough to learn, right. To admit their failures. And they're not really failures or opportunities to learn. Now think about when you're hiring and interviewing for your next manager or supervisor. Oh, you're getting super going here. to pick, right? So you will you will start hiring and promoting Different. people that have those shared values. You wouldn't hire somebody because yeah, it would be weird. They'd stick out like a sore thumb yeah. and it would be strange. So the other benefit to all of this is you really learn who fits, who would fit in your organization when you, when you understand the type of organization you, you need to be and, and how you need to behave uh, daily and put all those things in place, you'll, you're going to end up hiring and developing better people as a result. You'll be able to look for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd be looking for different outside the box, different characteristics than what's maybe what's on the job description as far as um, technical skills. You're looking for accountability or, you know, how some that non-victim mentality and somebody that's open and willing to grow and um, yeah. always look at themselves in the mirror and see where we did, you know, where, where did I contribute to this? To this. A and great so, book on that topic is, I have it over there. It's called The Advantage. Oh. And um, in, in the subtitle is why organizational health beats organizational intelligence every time or something oh, wow. like that. I think I'm paraphrasing. But and um, Patrick Lencioni talks about this. He was the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Death by Meeting. Read that one. Yep. Yep. Yes. So my favorite author, I talk a lot about him on my podcast. Yes. Um, yes. The Advantage is a great book where it talks about you know, um, you have to achieve organizational clarity, why we exist, you know, what we do, and then how we do it. You have to start with why we exist first. So then everything else flows. That's why I started with that why. Yeah. We understand that we're first and foremost, 
It doesn't matter if we're making widgets or if we're making popcorn. I, I don't care what we're doing. We have to we have to take care of our people. That's the start because our people will do the rest for us, right? You have to build on that foundation why we exist. And then, so he goes through this exercise of organizational clarity and he talks about um, core, uh, core values versus aspirational values and accidental values and how you can avoid those. And so that's, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration. And I applied that uh, back in the day when I was doing consulting, I applied some, you would see this so clearly in organizations, you would go, holy cow, that's what Pat was talking about. I, they're missing these things. And so I started doing exercises with my my clients. I would go run them through achieving organizational clarity with their safety teams. Why does the safety team exist? You know, agree upon that. And then everything you do from there, every activity you think you need to do as a safety team has to have to be, has to be based on that. That makes um, sense. So, yeah. So it works for team development. It works for leadership development and you do end up, you know, being a better, you know, hiring manager, you end up recruiting better people because now you know who would and would not fit with the organization. That makes so, sense. And yeah. the biggest, oh my gosh, we really could, really could talk all day about this, but I'll wrap up in yeah. respect of your time. But the biggest thing that stood out here and why I think that we could talk all day is because, and I would love to continue this conversation because also what I hear you saying is this shared belief that I have that culture, you said it several times that safety culture and culture aren't two different things. And right. from everything you just said right now is that these business practices could be a reason, these fundamental business practices as far as defining who you are as a company, your voice, defining the, having clarity in your business that affects way more than that could that's a deeper root cause than a bad safety culture and so that's my that's my big philosophy is that it's not safety culture when you have an incident there's there's bigger things at hand here it's not it's not singular there's a culture problem and when we have a great culture it's just yeah so that's that's, I think, a huge takeaway for safety professionals, for anybody listening today, is that you can't separate the two. You can't separate culture and safety culture. And there's so much more to a safety program than OSHA regulations by any regulations. You have to think about all the way to your day-to-day -day practices, to your hiring process, what kind of people are we bringing on? Um, there's so much to unpack here. I, I yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure people will be yeah. listening to this one over again because there is a lot of great advice that you gave. So well, it was fun to talk about it. You know, I like to nerd out too, and it's always yeah. good to talk to a colleague and, uh, just share thoughts and ideas. So it was, a, it was a great time. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to continue the conversation in a few months yeah. if I can get on your calendar. Absolutely. Because... We'll do another one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I would love to thank you again. And if you have, um, if anybody would like to reach out to Blaine, um, we'll be linking up his social media to his safety pro podcast and, um, how you can be in touch with him as well. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the true safety podcast with Apollonia Rockwell. 
If you are looking to save time,